It's an exciting Sunday. Aren't you glad you're here in church today? What a great place to be. In God's presence together. We sang about victories. Now we're going to celebrate a victory. Our fiscal year just concluded. And with about a month to go. So this is the end of July. We were $113,000 under our budget. In terms of giving, $113,000 under. But in the last month, God turned it around. Praise God for your generosity and faithfulness as well. And we ended up 49,000 to the good. We went from 113 under to 49,000 for the good. What does it say? We're trusting God. We're following God. We're all in on the vision. God is changing lives. We're giving him the glory. And we need to stop and thank him for moments like that when you see incredible provision in your life from the Lord. What is God doing? God is strengthening. God is sending. God is doing both. Today at the end of the message, the elders are ready to pray and they have anointing with oil from James chapter five. You can come forward at the end of the message, healing, restoration, Uh, God moves through prayer. And we've seen incredible testimonies as every month we do this. And it's not the oil, it's not the elders, it's God in his faithfulness and his power. He shows up when people are hungry. He shows up when people call on him and God still heals. God still provides. And we thank God for that. That's a time of strengthening and also sending. We're looking ahead at the next three weeks, excited about what's coming up, excited about what God's doing and what God's doing around the world. And it's gonna be what God's doing in our hearts because the two are connected. As we look forward and step into the next three weeks together, we are going to, a couple things, celebrate that God's house is a house of prayer for all nations. Amen? This is a house for all nations. This is God's house. And we thank God for that. Also, we're mindful that around the world, people are praying and seeking God in different languages. Today, right now. And we get a glimpse of that as the three of us are going to pray in different languages. So these are my brothers, Mike and Jorge. And Mike's going to start our prayer time. And then Jorge. And then I'll conclude in English. And we ask that we could all join together right now in seeking God in prayer. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Netwako gatharoshi neroro muadhani. Netwako abaradi aniondo we mwagana we mutugi. Netwako ranewe gagai niudu agotura henyo baine akutuko gatharia na toko goshe. Netwako niudu amaudu marawiki tatika tagete inega itu. Netwako niudu amaudu marawuda gatagete uwe kagai. Nitahoyati santificado sea tu nombre gracias Señor por la bendición de poder invocar tu nombre en esta hora 
eh, suplicarte que te manifiestes en medio de tu pueblo y hagas tus milagros y tus obras poderosas en cada uno de nosotros. Manifiéstate, Señor, en tu bendita palabra, que podamos escucharla y sentirla de tu Santo Espíritu. Guarda tu siervo, Señor, y úsanos para glorificar tu nombre por la eternidad. Prepáranos, Señor, para comunicarnos y amarnos unos con nosotros, como tú nos dices en tu bendita palabra. En el Salmo 133 nos dices que es gozoso, es deleitoso, es un placer poder estar los hermanos unidos en armonía. Señor, que sea una realidad. Manda tu bendición del cielo, Señor, porque ahí traes tu bendición. Gracias. Te adoramos en esta hora. Bendito sea tu nombre, alabado Dios, en el nombre de Cristo Jesús. Amén. Gracious God, we are so glad to be in your family, so grateful today to be united in your family. God, we've gathered to honor you. We've gathered to seek you. God, your presence means more than anything else that we have or could think about, God. This time is about being in your presence, Father. You, you made the nations. You love people from all nations. Father, we pray that your love for people, all nations, God, would come into our hearts today. God, send the love. Send the fire in this place. God, the altar's ready. Send the fire. God, send the fire, we pray. Burn deep. Burn off the chaff, God. Burn off the sin in this place, God. Send the fire, God. Send revival in this place. Give us fresh vision as we look to you together. And we're trusting you completely. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's a glimpse of heaven. a glimpse of heaven together. How does God view missions? The most well-known verse in the Bible is John 3:16. For God so loved the world, loved the entire world, that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. This is the gospel and the good news. Jesus died for our sins and he's risen. But a lot of people overlook 1 John 3:16. 1 John 3:16 says, now this is love. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. Well, what does that look like to lay down your life? That might literally happen or that might be a calling in terms of unselfishness, serving, sharing your faith. What does it look to lay down your life? As we look back 22 years ago, for Todd Beamer, he was in a plane thinking that it was comfortable, thinking he was traveling, loves Jesus, and then he heard the news. Well, there were hijackers on his plane, and in his final conversation, if you haven't read it in a while, read those words for about 10 minutes and just let it sink in. Saying goodbye to his family, then praying the Lord's Prayer, praying Psalm 23. I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your presence, even on a plane that's about to go down. And he said, let's roll. That's a missionary call. It went from the comfortable to the calling and the saving of many lives in a heroic and courageous act that we don't forget because we remember what inspires us. To shift from the comfortable to the calling. What is God gonna do 
in this place and in our hearts and homes over the next three weeks. None of us know the script. None of us have the script, but God does. We know this, God has raised up over half of our international partners from our own church. We know this, that it was not that long ago, the Cross family was sitting here, faithful and serving, warehouser serving in business, and God said to go, and the entire family went to South Sudan. Live there. It's a dangerous place, you might say. There's danger there. Clean water, raising up leaders, indigenous leaders, sharing the gospel. We don't know what God is gonna do in the next three weeks. But we're gonna seek God and trust God and let him write the script. Now, there's a phrase in our culture that's popular, my best life. My best life, I'm living my best life. People like to post that, usually when they're sitting by a beach, a pool, on vacation, maybe a really expensive car, super popular, got the threads, people looking up at them. That's my best life right there. There's nothing wrong with the phrase, my best life. But let's make sure that it aligns with the Bible. Because my best life looks like I'm gonna lay my life down for somebody else. What is your best life? Are you living your best life that God has called you to live? Is it cultural or is it biblical when you think about your best life? Well, today we're gonna take a look at how God views missions and may it become how we view missions. Sometimes we need to recalibrate and shift a few things to line up with heaven, to catch the purpose and passion of heaven. Sometimes we get a little sleepy, get a little complacent, a little distracted, a little busy doing the wrong stuff, and we need to come back and abide with Jesus and then respond in the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's the first truth today about how God views missions. The Bible is not a story that mentions missions. It's God's story that is all about missions. The Bible is not 66 books combined to one book with a little bit of missions sprinkled in. No, this book is the story of missions. Missions is not a story, it is the story. For the glory of God, missions, it's the story of the Bible. Now, this might be new for some of you, a paradigm shift, a perspective change. For others, you're a little more familiar, and God's going to build up a foundation for all of us as we look at a number of scriptures today. This foundation is so important because what God calls us to, there's always a foundation. Let's make sure the foundation's solid as we journey together the next three weeks. Now, when you think about the foundation, we're gonna start in Genesis chapter one, verse 28. God blessed them. Adam and Eve said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. There was a clear command. They were gonna be fruitful. They were gonna be worshipers increasing in number throughout the entire world. Loving God, loving each other. 
But it went sideways, didn't it? Because Adam and Eve chose sin and rebellion and death and selfishness and shame and everything else entered the picture now. God brought a second Adam, Jesus Christ, to completely redeem and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Until that day, we are on this story together. Genesis chapter nine, we look at Noah and God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. It's a lot like the message he gave to Adam and Eve. It was a restart. Why? Because there was so much corruption and violence and idolatry in the land. God brought a flood in judgment. We have a rainbow to say that flood will never cover the earth again. But by his mercy, God gave a new start. Be fruitful and multiply again looking at the whole world. And then they had the Tower of Babel. What happened there? Pride creeps in. But you are not God. Your plan is not God. Your gifts and talents are not God. There's no substitute for God. We need God. They went astray in many ways. Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three, the Lord had said to Abram, now we have Abram and Sarai, go from your country, that is the word that's so key, go. God will say throughout the Bible, go. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God is thinking about and loves all peoples, and he raises up a new nation. Starting with Abraham and Sarah, this is gonna be a nation that will bless all nations. Why does God bless any nation? To bless all nations. God has been so generous to America. Yes, we benefit from those blessings, But God blesses you personally to bless other people. God blesses a nation to bless other people. God's design here is to raise up a nation that will bless all nations. And go, Abraham and Sarah, go leave what's comfortable. This isn't gonna be known. This isn't gonna be easy. This isn't gonna be safe. You are not gonna feel like you are in ultimate control because you're not. And it's the same for us today. God says, go, it's not gonna be safe, not gonna be easy, not gonna be comfortable. You are not in ultimate control, but go. Go by faith because you have my presence, my power, my peace, and my perspective. Go in Jesus' name. That's still God's calling on our life. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Max, could you just turn me down a little bit because I get excited and I'm already peaking kind of high in the volume, so I don't want to blast anyone's ears out today. Uh, 1 Samuel 17, verse 45. Maybe you've heard about David and Goliath. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. We know that all this happened, David and Goliath. This very day I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and here it is, the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. What was physical and tangible, what was clear and what most people think is the whole story is David took down Goliath. That's just one part of the story. The bigger story 
is the idolatry in the land. And this is gonna be another reminder that there is one God, one true God, and the whole world will know this isn't to glorify David, but turn to God. Because if God can use David in a battle with Goliath, God has the final say, not the Philistines, not Goliath. Don't miss the main message. When you hear the book of Exodus, that God delivered through 10 plagues and he rescued the people from slavery, that's part of the story. Being rescued from slavery is very significant. But why did they leave slavery? The call was always the same. So my people will worship. Leaving slavery to worship. God gets the glory. Pharaoh doesn't have the final say. It's all pointing to God. It's all pointing to the nations. It's all pointing to worship. If you read through Jonah, which is a short book, you'll see at the end of that book, 120,000 people turn to God. Jonah, the world's worst evangelist, leads the world's greatest revival at that time. It wasn't Jonah, it's God. It's not you, it's God. It's not me, it's God. Well, what happened? 120,000 people drop their idols and turn to the living God. Don't tell me God's done with the sound, that God is done with America, that God can't do it anymore. God can do 120,000 in one day, in one hour. I don't believe the narrative of hopelessness. I don't believe people preaching that God doesn't really have the power to do anything too special these days. That was all in the Bible. I don't believe that junk. This is the same God. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 120,000 in, in one day. Be faithful, trust God with the results. Jonah didn't even like the results. Didn't want the results. Didn't even like the people he served. You might not like the people you serve too much sometimes. You might not even wanna go to the places God wants you to go. You might do it just thinking about your own. For Jonah, it was like sunshine and shade and comfy and oh, it all got ruined. You might feel like that sometimes. Well, what else? Psalm 46, verse 10. The first part, people say it a lot. Be still and know that I am God. That's so important in a busy, fast-paced culture where we put so much pressure on ourselves. We feel so much stress. We're not listening to God. Got our, our iPods in and we're listening to everything else really loud. Be still and know that I am God. Okay, that's only the first half of the verse. You don't hear the second half very often. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Psalm 46 is a storm. In the storm of your life right now, be still and know that he is God. And in the storm right now that is the nations with refugees and human trafficking and starvation and wars and injustice, know that God is still on the throne, exalted over the nations. God Almighty is with us. God is still moving. In Isaiah chapter 49, the prophet looking forward, he says, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob, the 12 tribes, the Israelites. It's too small a thing. Has God ever told you it's too small a thing? Has God ever told you your vision is too small? Has God ever told you your view of him is too small? Have you ever been humbled by God saying that's too small? God is absolutely in the details. God cares about every small thing in our lives. No question, small is important. 
but small is not total. God says it's too small, that vision. And to bring those tribes back, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. God blessed the Jewish people immensely. And the temptation is that, well, it's all about the Jews. It's all about us. God's saying, no, actually, you're gonna be an instrument to bless all the nations. It won't stop with just the Jewish people. And all the Gentiles in the room said, amen, amen. Jew and Gentile coming together. This is God's vision. This is quoted in the book of Acts in the New Testament because the mindset was still small. The mindset was still just the Jewish people. God was breaking out of that small box that so many people tried to contain him in. And as you read through the book of Acts, Peter goes to Cornelius's house. Why? Because when God wants to do big things, it often starts with one conversation in one relationship and one home. Peter to Cornelius, Jews, Gentiles, the floodgates are about to open. Well, what else do we see in the book of Acts? One conversation, we have Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, leads him to Jesus, baptized, the gospels go into Africa. Well, what else do we have in the book of Acts? We have the jail, we have Philippi, we have Lydia, the jailer who is gonna kill himself, now is on mission, because he found the hope of Jesus. Lydia, who is successful, purple cloth, money, business, prestige, all of that, empty on the inside still, came to know Jesus. Now we have a church in Philippi, now the gospel's going to Europe. Don't miss what God's doing. He'll work one-on-one, -on -one, a conversation, an invitation, a relationship. Open your home, one dinner. And then what God has attached to that in blessings, far beyond what you could imagine. Be faithful in the small things. Trust God with the results. He said, it's too small. It's too small. As we move into the New Testament, Jesus, y'all know this, but Jesus is not American. <laughs> we know that, right? We know that. We know Jesus is from the Middle East, and we know Jesus is Jewish. Right, fully God, fully human, okay, okay. Because I just feel like in America, I just see a lot of pictures of America and Jesus, and, and, and I, I just gotta say, he's Jewish. He lived in the Middle East. And, and then, who's a typical Christ follower today? If you took the average follower of Jesus today, who comes to your mind? Do you know who the average follower of Jesus is today? A woman in Africa. That's what the numbers would say. Sometimes we're so centered on America. We got Jesus being American and the average Christian's American. And we just need to see the world in God's perspective. So what else is happening? Mark chapter 16, verse 15. If you're like, just give it to me clear, direct. And I kind of like it shorter. Don't talk for too long. Just what is God's plan? Here it is. And the gospel marks your gospel because that's a short, direct, clear one. He said to them, go, hasn't changed, go into part of the world. No, 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 missed it, missed it. Go into all the world and preach. Ooh, did God just say, I've got to talk? He kind of did, kind of did, yeah, really did, really made that clear. Uh, speak, yes, your actions and your words should be consistent, but speak, pass on what you know, the gospel, Jesus died for our sins and risen, a relationship, it's on grace to all creation. 
Jesus makes it really, 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 really clear. You, you can't sit here and go, you know, it just wasn't clear. Just didn't see the clarity there. He repeats it in every gospel. His ascension is the great commission. You can't miss it. None of us are gonna come before God at the end of our days and say, you know, I just never really got that very clearly. What'd you tell me to do again? There it is. There it is. It's the word of God. It's eternal. It's our calling. There it is. What do we do with that? It was his last words, his passion. Well, you look at that and it's kind of intimidating, isn't it? It's kind of like, I don't think I'm gonna be able to do that on my own strength. Exactly. That's all of us. That's all of us. And Jesus knew this. So in Acts chapter one, verse eight, the disciples had a lot of things. They had unity, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit. They had prayer, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit. They had experiences with Jesus, but they didn't really have the feeling of the Holy Spirit. They had knowledge, but they didn't really have the feeling of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost is coming. You can have prayer, you can have knowledge, you can have experience, you can have a really fancy spiritual resume that impresses a lot of people, but if you don't have the Holy Spirit, the whole missions thing isn't really happening. And that hasn't changed. God gives us the Holy Spirit. When you receive power, you receive power. The same word, dynamite, it's explosive. Think Muckleshoot, 4th of July, boom, whatever you wanna think. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, four different regions going out further, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. We can't change this. We can fight it, resist it, ignore it, sleep on it, but we can't change it. Our need today is still the number one need then. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. We need the presence of the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the comfort of the Holy Spirit. We need the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to do what God's called us to do. And if we don't have the Holy Spirit, we're gonna be locked into materialism, to selfishness. We're gonna be locked into ourselves. We're gonna be silent. And all these opportunities we have, we're just not gonna step into them because we're not relying on the Holy Spirit. We're just thinking we're doing a good job. And on a curve, we look around and it's like, I'm seeing a lot of people not doing much. I'm probably an A. I'm probably going pretty strong right here. So what does this lead to? Here's the end zone. Revelation chapter five, verse nine. This is where it's all leading to. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood, there's no other blood that purchased the forgiveness of sins and our salvation. It was the blood of Jesus Christ. Purchased, redeem means buy back. For God, we can't save ourselves. Who did Jesus redeem? Who will be in heaven? People from every tribe, language, people, nation, tongue, every ethnos, every people group will be represented in heaven finally together. Do you see God's unstoppable plan? Missions is not sprinkled in. Missions is not a story, a theme. Missions is the theme of God and the word of God. You say, well, where are we? We're not in Revelation 5, 9 yet. Although today had some foretastes of it, we're not there yet. So where are we? 
I don't know exactly where we are. We know where the end zone is. We know the ending is gonna be glorious, but I can't tell you if we're on the 30-yard line, the 25, the 20, the 15, the 10. Christ is going to come back. He will come back. And he will set up a new heaven and new earth. The gospel will be preached to all people. This will happen. I just don't know how close we are right now. None of us know the day Christ will return. We know where the end zone is. I hope we're going that direction. How close are we? The Bible says, notice the signs of the times. We're in those birth pangs. We're noticing what's happening. Each day we're getting closer. We've got a role. We've got a job to finish. We're doing together, locally and globally. I don't know where we are, but I know where the end zone is. And I know what God's called us to do. This is God's view of the world, his timeline, his story. Here's the second truth today. Many Christians simply miss the big picture of what God is doing and wants to do. It's unintentionally missed. It's not like we wake up in the morning and like, yeah, I'm not gonna really think about the world like God does. I'm not really gonna see people and love people like God does. I'm just gonna go my own way. We don't wake up saying that, but we realize we've got a shift. Churches don't get way too insular as the plan. We don't sit around in church leadership and say, you know, how could we ignore the nations more? How could we ignore the Great Commission more? How could we shrink it down? How could we sanitize it? How could we just make it about being comfortable in this room and the couple people on our row that we really love and know and just keep it in that little bubble? How could we do that? No church goes that route. This is not intentional stuff. It's unintentional. So how does it usually play out? Churches see these verses They see this truth, they study the word, and they think we've gotta get missionaries. And that's a wonderful thing. And missionaries are prayed over and sent out, it's glorious. Yes, churches should be sending people out. And the upside is the missionaries are going out. The danger as they go out is that people start to drift and think, well, all we do is pay for the missionaries. It's their role, not ours. They're the A team, we're kind of the still here team. B team, C team, junior varsity, whatever you wanna call us. We're still here, they're doing the really important stuff for the kingdom, but we're just kind of here. Do you see the lie? It's not true. But we think, okay, we've got our missionaries, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, they're doing it. Whew, we just give them a check, okay. That's where it can drift. And then we kind of catch it and go, wait a second, wait a second, shouldn't be that way, shouldn't be that way. We gotta do something here. We got some people who are still here that got a passion for the nations. We gotta do something. So what comes next? Frequently, let's get a missions team. Let's get the 10, 25 people who are passionate about the nations and God's love, white hot. Let's get them together and form a missions team. And then the missions team is formed. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing to have a team. We've got lots of teams at Grace. It's good to have a missions team. The danger when a missions team is formed is that everyone in the room says, we got our missionaries overseas, we got our missions team right here, those two got it covered, yeah, I'm gonna cheer them on and pray for them once in a while. And then the missions team, they're trying to keep up with everything because no one else seems to be that passionate about the nation, so they're getting a little tired out because they're trying to do it all. And then we realize, you know, we gotta have more 
than just missionaries in a missions team. We gotta have something to get people participating and passionate and getting them excited and realize that they're a world Christian, that they can bless the nations in amazing, so many different ways besides going. So we gotta have something. Let's do a missions conference. And then there's a missions conference. And then what happens? Everyone says, wow, I learned some new things. Ooh, I like the way that felt. I got kind of inspired. For a couple weeks, I was really getting into the nations. And then the missions conference ends and what usually happens? The church kind of goes back to, well, my old routine, the old normal. Hop back into that again. Yep, yep, got a lot of dishes to do this week. Don't have time for missions. Whew, you know how many diapers I'm changing every week? I definitely don't have time for missions. I'm giving rides to the kids, to their games. I don't have any time to think about the nations. And it's just easy, right? It's unintentional. Have you ever seen that before? Am I preaching to anyone who's ever seen that pattern before? Okay, just making sure, just making sure. So what ends up happening when it comes to missions, if we're really honest, a lot of the body of Christ would say, I've never really gone for it. Never really gone for it with missions. I mean, I like going to other countries. Like vacations are awesome. And there's so many places now you can check out, Airbnbs. Oh, I gotta tell you about these beaches I went to. And we just kind of go into like, well, the nations, that's for vacations. There's nothing wrong with vacation in the nations. Absolutely, go. Y'all work hard, you need a break. Get, get, a, get a good time, right? But that's not really the call on our lives to vacation in the nations there's something more significant than that. And some of us kind of wonder, because we've read the Bible, and there's this phrase at the end of our life that God would hopefully say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And we all long for that. Now, you're saved. There's no condemnation in Christ. You're, you're saved. You're going to heaven. Your eternal security is there. And there's also rewards that are linked and roles linked to what we're doing now. And all of us long to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And if we're really honest, sometimes we just kind of wonder, like, God, if I don't really go for it with missions, like, could I just do other things so I can still get that, well done, my good and faithful servant? God, can I trade you all the nations and the mission stuff and just do a couple more things right here instead, and then here, well done, my good and faithful servant. Can I trade? Do you see where a lot of us kind of sit sometimes when it comes to missions? What does God wanna do? Something wonderful and something deep. It starts with Jesus, John 3, 17. Let's remember why Jesus came to earth. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The why for Jesus is not condemnation, it's salvation. And he was willing to go all out for the call. Well, what else? John chapter 10, verse 18, how did it happen? No one takes his life from him. Yes, he was murdered, but he laid it down of his own accord. He has authority to lay it down, authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father, the death and resurrection of Jesus, that's the gospel. This is the why, this is the what. 
We look at Jesus first. And then we have truth throughout scripture that reminds us, that calls us. In Romans chapter 10, verses 13 to 15, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And preaching could be talking, it could be sharing, it could be over coffee, it could be passing along. How are they gonna believe if no one tells them? How can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Turn the person next to you and say, your feet look beautiful. Your feet look beautiful. Your feet look beautiful. We've got nothing but beautiful feet in this room. Beautiful feet. If you can't see it, take it by faith. Because that verse says it. That verse says it. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You know who the sent ones are? They're not the international partners. The sent ones are all of us. The beautiful feet, that's not the international partners. That's not the beautiful feet club. We all have beautiful feet. This is the truth. The calling in 2 Corinthians chapter four, the God of this age, you say, what is the devil doing? Oh, blinding the minds of unbelievers. Blinding. So they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The devil wants to keep people blind, lost, not believing, doubting, darkness, despair, destruction. That's what the devil tries to do every day. Demons steal, kill, and destroy. For what we preach is not ourselves. If we preached ourselves, there would be no hope, no power. But Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. This is the calling. Go to the blind. Go to those who are hopeless. Go to those who haven't heard because they can't believe unless they hear. So go, love them, serve them, listen to them, build relationships with them, invite them into your home and share what really matters. That's the call. So let's move to the elephant in the room. And I'm grateful for the Joshua Project, which lays this out and It's interesting, America has been the number one sender in terms of missionaries, but now many nations are sending people to America. We need to be praying for our own country, right? And where God is moving powerfully right now is Latin America, Africa, Asia, Lafricasia, it's called, in mighty ways. Pray for our nation, right? So this is what I'm gonna share. This I think the elephant in the room. It's called the 1040 window. You're gonna see a map here. That's 10 degrees to 40 degrees. That's north latitude. In this window right here, we have 5.3 billion people. Two thirds of the world live in this window. There are 8,800 people groups in this window. How many of those people groups are unreached? Unreached means they have no valid opportunity to hear the gospel, to be around Christians. No valid opportunity. 6.1 thousand people groups in the 1040 window. I want the 1040 window to go from our minds to our hearts today. How many people? That's about 3 billion people who have not heard the gospel. About 3 billion people. You say, well, I thought there was a lot of people on the sound who aren't, you know, uh, following Jesus. 3 
billion people in the 1040 window. This is, of course, starting where Adam and Eve were. When you think of megacities, that's defined as over a million people is a megacity. The 50 most unreached megacities are all in the 1040 window. People in the 1040 window experience poverty in a way that we don't have right here. In fact, over 80% of the poorest people in the world live in the 1040 window. You said, where is the poverty? Over 80% of the poverty is here in the 1040 window. The average person lives on a few hundred American dollars a year. And if we looked at stats on church going and giving and reaching the 1040 window, it is shockingly low. It is pennies on the many dollars. In the 1040 window, there are, there's so much disease, sickness. There's very little access to food and water in many places. Also, the persecution is very intense for Christians. If someone comes to know Christ or baptized, they might be kicked out of their family, thrown in jail, beaten, or killed in many places in the 1040 window. It's a very different experience than what we have here. These are the realities of this part of the world. There's also a more visible darkness, evil. Uh, There is, uh, in these places, I'm not saying the people are in any way. I'm saying in terms of the spiritual battle, there are strongholds that are, are quite evident. Do you see how easy it would be for us to never think about the 1040 window? I mean, couldn't you just go through life and never really even know the 1040 window, think about the 1040 window, do anything about the 1040 window? Wouldn't that be easy in America? I mean, that's so far away. That's like over water. I don't even go overseas. Like, it's not even on my radar. I'm not gonna do anything about it. Wouldn't it be easy to just follow Jesus for 40 years and not even think or care or pray or do anything about the 1040 window? Wouldn't that be easy in America? It would be so easy to go that route. What does God see when he sees the world. Ray Johnson, pastor in California, said something about 15 years ago that has not left me. He said, the church in America is like a sleeping giant. Like a sleeping giant in America. Look up, wake up, rise up. Look up, wake up, rise up. The clock is ticking. We know the end zone. Every day we're getting closer to Christ's return. God has empowered us, gifted us, and blessed us far too wide to just sleep on the 1040 window in what God's doing around the world. We have a biblical foundation. We wanna move forward. The calling over the comfortable. Let's say that out loud together. The calling over the comfortable. That's gonna be where you wrestle. The calling over the comfortable. What we love is the comfortable. The calling is much more difficult. What are we gonna do with the calling? The calling over the comfortable. Let's just say it again because the person next to you might need to hear it. The calling over the comfortable. This is the only application today. We're gonna get into some specifics next week. But the application today, let God's love for people of all nations become your love for people of all nations. Would you give God access today? Would you let him bring his love for all nations into your heart, into my heart, 
to a much greater degree. You know, I didn't travel overseas until college, went to Scotland twice and then lived there. And I didn't know much about Scotland. I was very naive. I thought this is gonna be just like America. I mean, they speak English, we speak English. How different could it be? And then I realized, oh, that's a different continent. That's a different culture. That's a different accent. What did he say? And that food is definitely different right there. And I so appreciate Scottish people, love Scotland. And it was like through that experience, God started to take some of his love for Scotland and put it in my heart. At the end of college, I went to Zimbabwe. Didn't know much about Africa. Had some opportunities to play soccer. There were tryouts, Queens Park Rangers, Man United. It was exciting. It looked like we'd probably go that direction. But there was a calling in listening to God the message was go to Africa. I had, could not anticipate how it would work out, fighting for my life for one year, 10 years to fully recover, the tragic illness. I didn't see any of that coming, but it was go. I had never experienced firsthand AIDS, drought, famine, poverty, lack of resources, lack of education, lack of jobs. I just never, I read about it, I've heard about it. I'd never entered in and lived in it. It won't be the same. It just won't be the same when you've lived in it. Because God does something where his heart for Zimbabwe just started to move my heart for Zimbabwe. And I, I just, I'm always gonna see that nation differently. One by one, God will take his love for that nation and start to put it in your heart to a greater degree. When the pandemic came, Pakistan wasn't on my radar and then on social media, I had these people from Pakistan starting to connect, wanting to connect, and wide range of people. I was like, sure, sure, sure. I'm kind of easy with the friend stuff. I'm just like, sure, 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 sure. Well, then, well, could, could I preach live on Zoom at a big event? Could we go to the smaller villages? Could we send Bibles? We sent Bibles to Pakistan. There's probably about two or 3% Christians in Pakistan We've been reaching Pakistan. Then there's television in Pakistan. Could you start doing outreach events? I would include a pastor, someone else at our church, other pastors from the sound about once a month. We've been doing outreach for one hour in Pakistan, sharing the gospel, seeing all kinds of fruit. God is doing something amazing in Pakistan. And yes, the news is true. There's persecution in Pakistan. Pakistan is just closer to my heart than it's ever been before. What nations is God bringing his love into your heart? And are you ready, willing to embrace the nations that God loves in a different and new way? That's the application today. Is will you receive God's love for people who are very different than you? Or are you just gonna stick with the homogenous group because the comfortable is easier than the calling. It's out on a limb to open up our homes, to hear stories, to go to places, to reach people, to connect. It, it's, it's out on a limb. Is the calling greater than what's comfortable? You know, when I was a kid, my favorite game early on was concentration. I couldn't really beat my parents in many games right? Scrabble, no chance. Cards, no chance. But there's this one game 
concentration. It's like the earliest memories, youngest kid. All the cards are flipped over. You flip over one, you flip over another and see if it's a match. And God just gave me the ability to remember where the cards were. And I could flip one over, flip one over, it's a match, I'll take that. I remember where that one is, that one is, it's a match, I'll take that. That's a match, that's a match, that's a match. This is what God wants to do today. He's turning over some cards. He's starting to show you some things. He wants it to be a match. How he sees people and how you see people becomes a match. What he wants to do in the nations and what you're willing to do in the nations becomes a match, becomes a match. All he's saying today is he is good, his plan has never changed, his plan will never change, we're closer to the end zone than we ever have before. How he views the 1040 window, will you say to God, it's a match, it's a match. Do a work in my life, in my heart, that it would be a match. What is your best life? I guarantee you this, life is short. Life is short. We don't have two runs. I was talking to the lady at the checkout at the grocery store. She said, I think I'm gonna be a butterfly. And the other lady said, I believe in reincarnation that I'm gonna be a bird. And then they looked at me and I was like, you're probably thinking bald eagle, right? So. Dad jokes still work at the grocery store. Uh, but I'm thinking, this is the sound. They're thinking they're coming back as animals. We're not coming back as no animals. You got one life. You know what's really important today? Figure out what's your best life. Because whatever you think is your best life, that's the life you're gonna chase. And if it doesn't match with God, where are we running? Where are we running? Let's... God strengthens, God sends. We've been talking about God sending. Right now, God strengthens. I'm gonna invite the elders to come forward. And as they do, let's prepare our hearts. God, you've been moving in this place today, strengthening and sending. We sense it, strengthening and sending. God, strengthen right now. We pray, healing right now, restoration right now. We pray, God, we're not able on our own. We need you. And this right now is a time where we're saying we need you. And so we come forward together in prayer. God, some are gonna come forward and receive. There's gonna be healing and strengthening and encouragement. Others, God, are gonna pray for people coming forward. They're gonna lift up prayers to you for themselves. Guide this time, guide this time. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.